definitely looks like something, uh, there's, uh, some kind of object that's suspended in the air. It's hard to tell. It's pretty small. I cannot see it outside of my eyes. I reiterate that we know what the spy balloon was from China, so put that one aside. The other three instances, as they are described, both publicly and in there, are not new. I mean, we've heard the exact same description in hundreds of cases, dozens this year alone. One one in the targeting pod, you can see something, I can't tell if it's metallic or what. There's, uh, I can see like lines coming down below, but I can't see anything below it. They were not Chinese spy balloons in the sense that they look anything like what was previously. What, what, they, what, 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 they have no nation. They, no, they, they don't know whose it is. They don't even know what it is. They can't even tell you what it looked like. One one looking outside is kind of like a, a blackish. I'm gonna call it like a container. I can't really tell though what the shape is. What we heard in there described, uh, what we've heard publicly described, sounds just like the stories we've heard repeatedly. The most important question we have to answer now is what are these things? Who sent them here? And what are they doing here? Do you rule out alien origin, extraterrestrial origin? The alien origin? I don't know what we could do about that. Uh, my, you know, if this, I would almost hope it is at some point because if this is the Chinese or the Russians or someone's invented a capability that we can't monitor, that sounds like a big problem. With my knife, with the tone, so I've got a good track, but I can't see it through the glare of the cockpit. The American people should be given more information. They're ready for it. They can handle it. And they need and deserve to know it. Aliens. Now that we have your attention, here's a plot twist. The aliens just want to show their love. But they're also nationalistic because they're only sending America all their cute little balloons for Valentine's Day. Yet they're too early and don't match the pink and red decor. This is no fantasy. Fighter pilots have been shooting down floating objects for the first time in NORAD's history over Alaska, Montana, and Lake Huron. So it's time to beam back aboard our Armies of the Aliens craft series. A special guest joins us today on Fantastical Truth to explore what all these rumors might expose about human nature and gospel solutions. This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from... <clears throat> sorry, sorry. This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore strange legends and fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent, and I don't think I believe that these are extraterrestrials. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I just took a Dramamine because I get really airsick while flying, but don't worry, I'm just the co-pilot today, and this is episode 150, is the U.S. government covering up spy balloons or alien spaceships, and we're joined by special guest James R. Hannibal. Welcome, James. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. James is our special, previously unannounced guest who just arrived via a portal riding airship because his newest book, Bear Knight, book two in the Light Raider Academy series, just came out on Valentine's Day. So he is showing us some love as well. And believe it or not, if you look on the cover of that book, you may just find a spy balloon. We're going to find out more about that in just a moment. Hey, what a fun coincidence indeed. Of course, uh, in God's providence, there are no coincidences. Because the top sponsor for this episode is indeed that self-same book, Bear Knight, from Enclave Publishing. Darkness looms in the Dragonlands. War is brewing. New threats have emerged in Keledev. The Watchmen of Thousand Falls and the Windhold find goblin tunnels in the slopes of the mountain barrier that may hold many dangerous creatures. 
At the same time, scouting missions into the Dragonlands confirm that the dragons are building an army of tortured Eladoth villagers to destroy the liberated land. To protect Kara Orso, the young woman Connor and Lee rescued, the headmaster sends them to the second hall to face the intrigues of the assembly in her place. Far to the south, the two cadets learn of an old weapon designed to end the war between the dragons and the liberated land forever. To restore the honor of his family and renew the hope of his people, Connor believes he must find the weapon and use it to destroy the dragon leader. While Connor Lee and an assembly man's daughter scour the dragon lands for the weapon, Kara and Tyran are drawn north into the Forest of Horrors on a mission of their own to find and save one tortured man. To succeed, both parties must face their fears and lean on the peace and strength of the rescuer. This is book two of the Light Raider Academy series, now with bears, now with knights, and now with some air travel. As we've heard, you can find that book link in our show notes for episode 150 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. From there, James and Zach, let's go to that concession stand. Now, Zach, you very humbly said you're the co-pilot for this episode, <laughs> but we all know you are at the helm of this particular UFO. Uh, what kind of concessions do you have left over from Valentine's Day, possibly left by the aliens, possibly with some ingredients we don't want to know about? Yeah, well, I would say the first concession is that for you, our dear listener, by the time you're listening to this, some of what we're saying may be outdated. Uh, just because the news is changing very, very fast about the story. There's been a number of different balloons that have been spotted, shot down, uh, different statements made. It's it's very much evolving. So please uh, give us grace if, if we get things wrong. And also, because we're talking about fighter jets and things like that, this is not, not my specialty. That's why we've got an actual fighter jet pilot to join us today. So he's going to help provide some clarifying details about some of these events. You heard at the beginning some cockpit audio from these pilots, and yeah, I can barely even understand what they're saying, much less what a lot of it means and a lot of acronyms and things like that to make sense of. So we'll do our best there. And, you know, this discussion is necessarily political in a sense uh, because we're talking about military, the government, the CIA, all the good stuff, uh, all these different government agencies, Senate intelligence committees. We're going to try to do our best not to get partisan or anything like that, but there is a lot of debate, conflict, whatever, about what a lot of this means, uh, a lot of different opinions, and we'll try not to get on you know, partisan attacks and stuff, but there is a lot of uh, criticism people have had of the government's handling, the White House, the whatever, the leadership, more, more the political leadership, and we, we are very pro-military here, so we're not, you know, we're not here to talk bad about any pilots or anything like that, but it is kind of shocking that we had for the first time, like I said, the first time in Norad's history is what I believe we've had uh, airplanes shoot down things over the continental U.S. That is that is really interesting. I mean, it sounds like they did everything right. They kept everyone safe. Uh, but that is a new thing. And so it's, it's interesting to talk about just from that angle. In terms of what I think, just putting my cards on the table, I honestly don't know what to think of what most of these things are. I think there's still some mystery to it, but maybe that's just more military, secrecy, classified stuff. Uh, do I think these are aliens? Well, probably not. But there's definitely an alien UAP angle to all this we'll get into. See our previous episodes for what we think about. Could there even be aliens in the universe? You know, What does that mean theologically? We've covered this many times. So if you click on our Armies of the Aliens, a little subheading there, if you're looking on the episode page, you can see our previous episodes about that. We're not going to cover all that ground, but it is interesting to think about some of the, some of the meanings from this episode, some of the implications. Uh, because you have people saying, well, this could be the most important discovery of mankind in, in history. 
So we're going to talk about what that means. Stephen, what, what concessions do you have uh, for our in-flight snacks here? Oh, you beat me to the plug for the Armies of the Alien series. Uh, you've really taken the leadership on this one, Zach, and it's uh, proven to be one of our most popular topics at Lorehaven. Definitely go back to those episodes. If we didn't talk about your favorite alien thing or we didn't go into the theology of whether or not such sentient beings could exist in the Christian worldview, chances are we've already addressed that with our previous episodes with titles like How Do Christians Discern UFO Accounts in Light of Scripture? And did God create aliens and would Jesus need to save them? We talk about end times conspiracies. We talk about Congress disclosing stuff. I mean, some of these episodes are definitely uh, anchored in the season in which we made them. But others, we do try to keep more evergreen because this discussion has been going on for decades. Uh, Putting my cards on the table as well. um, I've established this in previous episodes that I don't believe that the Christian worldview can allow sentient morally responsible aliens uh, who can sin and repent and or would need a savior of some kind i just don't think that fits with the scriptures uh, scriptures emphasis on planet earth uh, as the main stage of god's gospel redemption narrative through the gospel of jesus christ Uh, jesus is forever established as a human being and humans alone are the only sentient creatures who reflect god's image back to him it just messes with too much uh, if you try to get into that stuff I don't even know if we'll talk that much about aliens today. We're mainly, I think, uh, from what I, at least what I, where I see this uh, course going is we're talking about human beings. Uh, we're talking about secrets. We're talking about people uh, trying to cover stuff up and or overcorrect for previous mistakes, whatever's going on. Uh, we're going to talk about a balloon hobbyist club that may have gotten out of line. You just never know about these rogue hobbyist clubs out there in the heartland somewhere and what kind of shenanigans uh, they're getting up to. Uh, James, do you have any in-flight snacks to share? Uh, just just a couple. I've got uh, the concession of uh, you're going to hear me say some technical things possibly today just because of my background and experience. I promise that nothing I'm going to say is classified. It just may sound <laughs> uh, a, a little more technical than, than you're used to or something that's not well known because it's just part of fighter pilot speak or, or pilot speak in general uh, radar type operations. But it's not uh, I'm, I promise that I'll not say anything classified. Um, uh, I've been called uh, out by re- reviewers and, and commentators before. Um, and uh, uh, no offense, but um, my military friends and I are laughing at you um, uh, <laughs> when you come in and, <laughs> and 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 throw the hey, he just gave away the store. No, no, I promise I won't do that. My other concession is uh, if if you did see my comment on the uh, the the actual Valentine's Day podcast with my no. Uh, due to the, uh, the the focus on Christian <laughs> oh, that romance. Oh, was our last episode about romance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure I stepped on some toes there, uh, but just expressing my uh, uh, hopes that um, not all of Christian fiction can be about um, a boy meets girl. So mm-hmm. there you go. Those are those are my snacks for the day. Uh, no, James, the only way to say that comment is in the voice of Darth Vader uh, at the very end of uh, the third prequel movie. No! no. Yeah. I think there was a website there for a little button you could actually press, uh, animated to look like one of those arcade blue buttons. You just pressed it in dire situations. So you are clearly experiencing a dire situation there, but you won't be experiencing a dire situation from disclosing actual military secrets. Hey, uh, we've had James here long enough. Let's introduce him. <laughs> Introducing James R. Hannibal. He's a former stealth pilot and no stranger to secrets and adventure. He has been shot at, locked up by surface-to-air missiles, has hunted insurgents with drones, and was once chased by an armed terrorist down a winding German road. 
James is the Carol Award winning author of the Clandestine Service series and a three-time winner of the Silver Falcon Award for Juvenile Fiction for his Section 13 series. He also stewards the discipleship learning system game Light Raiders and the newest novel from the Light Raider Academy book series, Bear Knight, just released on February 14, 2023. James is now, of course, here, and you can get all those links to his websites and his previous uh, appearances on the podcast, uh, episodes 70 and 85, for example, all those in the show notes. Uh, Zach, where do we go from here? What, uh, what is your chapter one in this discussion that you prepared? So our, our first chapter here is some say UFO stories or how the government distracts us from its many scandals. And I'll go through a list of those here in a minute. But this was kind of a reoccurring meme that I saw on social media, Stephen, is that every time uh, this topic would come up, there were a number of commentators that say, hey, stop paying attention to this balloon gate thing or this uh, UFO story, uh, because this is how they get you to stop focusing on the other things that they're doing that you should pay more attention to. Uh, this is kind of my father-in-law's uh, stance. Uh, he would say, you know, whenever there's a weird story like this in the news, I go to congress.gov and see what they are voting on today, <laughs> like what they are spending money on uh, that I don't support. And, you know, I call my congressman or whatever to voice my concern about that rather than whatever this uh, fantastical story is. Kind of a quick list. I I put together here is that there's we've got the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, the classified document scandal, the scandal with Pfizer and directed evolution, that story from Project Veritas. There's this train that exploded with vinyl chloride in East Palestine, Ohio, poisoning the water, the air, the ground for several miles. Um, we've got a recession. We've got this whole debt ceiling vote. There's the Epstein thing, which I don't want to go into that too much, but uh, then there's the Twitter files that dropped a few months ago and kind of continue on. And then there's just the fact that this whole story seems to be somewhat of an embarrassment to some of our leaders that, hey, why are all these things coming into our airspace? Well, I don't know. We'll just blow them up, I guess. There's some leaders that maybe they think this whole thing makes them look weak. And so, Stephen, as you mentioned, there might be an overcorrection. And so, you know, it's it's exciting to see these things blow up, I guess. But why are they doing that? And what are they sort of... Why are they kind of waving their hands that way? And then we'll, we'll get into some of the more technical stuff on this recently, but that's kind of a summary of what I've seen that people say, oh, this is a classic psyop. You know, governments know how curious people are, you know, by being cagey and by being a little vague, that gets us to hyper-focus because we're like, oh, we know they're covering something up now because they refuse to tell us everything. <laughs> so you know, we'll just ignore everything else and focus on that. So I just wanted to give kind of voice to that because that that was an interesting analysis i saw this week and i thought eh, there may be something to that it's kind of the classic uh, magician trick like oh look at all this cool stuff over here and pay no attention to this thing over here <laughs> i don't know so that's kind of my anything you want to you guys want to add to that list again we're not going to try to get too much into this but what are the other things that we're not paying attention to now i guess you could say I guess my, my first thought on that, and I want to bounce this to uh, James as well, is, is this not falsifiable? Oh, they're using UFO stories to distract us from the bad domestic stuff. Uh, conversely, they're using the bad domestic stuff to distract us from the fact that they have arrived and we are not alone <laughs> in the universe and we're all about to get abducted or else uh, evolved and have all our diseases cured and Big Pharma doesn't want that. Like, Isn't this kind of a, a hyperfixation uh, or could be a hyperfixation, kind of a conspiracy type mindset that frankly is not healthy for the Christian to go too much into. 
I, I totally agree with that. Although I want to add to the list of uh, things to distract from is the price of eggs. eggs oh, is, yes. That's um, correct. Yes. <laughs> as and somebody fact, who likes. Eggs, eggs look like a balloon. They look like a white they, balloon. They do look like, see, it's all, connected, it's all connected. It's all connected. In my office here with the strings running across the ceiling, there's one that there's a red string that connects the Chinese spy balloon image directly to a carton of <laughs> eggs, which I'm saving like, like gold bullion. Uh, I do think deviled eggs are the new caviar. I think it, it assigns too much savvy to the government at having worked in Agreed. in that arena um, and been a liaison at, at, at higher levels, I think it assigns too much savvy to say that, uh, you know, okay, so they want to distract from a train wreck in Ohio. And so we're shooting down balloons. I think it's more that overcorrection that you're, you're talking about. Although the, the, the incidents that we had recently, you know, I, I do have some questions as to um, the particular track and location of these and, and, and why it's the frequency of which it's happening, because we do keep very careful track of balloons that are flying across the national airspace because you don't want to suck one down the engine of an airliner and cause that, that kind of issue. So my other side of that, if we want to get into the conspiracy theory, is the idea of tactical deception. So mm. my, my theory on UFOs, one, most most UFOs are just optical illusion and things that we don't understand. Like, like there's a very famous one in Phoenix and there's video online and uh, of uh, these floating lights seeming to do different things. And what they are, they are target illumination flares sent out for an exercise because the F-16s and the A-10s and, and the train out there in Arizona, it was just a nice clear night and you had these various target illumination flares flying over an exercise battlefield. That were doing weird things. In fact, my my one kill is a target illumination flare that they let me shoot down with a sidewinder. Uh, oh. <laughs> so uh, I'm jealous of these guys that get to shoot down get shoot, shoot down balloons now because you can actually be an ace for that. Uh, Frank oh. Junior, the first ace, five balloons, World War II. Um, <laughs> somebody check my facts on that. I'm I'm pulling that deep out of deep memory. But tactical deception. So the idea, the other side of that uh, of UFOs is is the idea that you create a situation that somebody's going to absolutely if you have to move an object that is of cl of classified nature um and you think it's going to be within view of public domain which is everywhere now because of drones and everything else and cell phone cameras then you know what have that gorilla driving the semi truck with a flatbed uh with the with the object under the tarp this the strangely saucer shaped object under the tarp <laughs> tarp um and so that when people talk about yeah there was a ufo they were the government has it they were driving it from roswell to dc and there was a gorilla driving the truck you know so then they sound <laughs> absolutely crazy so maybe there's a little bit of that going on <laughs> you know that's actually one of my favorite little things to do when we go on a road trip with my kids is when I see a flatbed truck with a big tarp, I said, oh, there's the government uh, saucer that they're trying to keep from us. They don't want you to know about it. It's just, it's a fun game. And now my kids have picked up on that. Every time we yep. see that kind of thing, they're like, oh, there it is again. Yeah. Sadly, these days, it's actually usually a Chinese made windmill headed out to a, a field near you. <laughs> now let's talk just a little bit about some of the technical uh, aspects of this. So you mentioned that you know, you don't want balloons and, and other things like that in your airspace. Now, from what I was reading about and just from the announcements they've made about these incidents, apparently the some of the filters were removed. The way I heard it explained was it's sort of like you have a spam filter in your email box that kind of gets rid of things that you don't need to pay too much attention to. Because what NORAD is mostly looking for are planes, drones, missiles, ICBMs. Santa Slay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing. My, my dad mans that phone line every year. Oh, interesting. 
So some of these objects might be a little smaller than what they're looking for, and they were kind of getting filtered out as just noise or clutter or whatever, so that when they went looking for these after the first Chinese spy balloon, they're like, hey, it looks like there's some more of these. And so can you tell us about that, James? Like, I guess the question is, were these, have these been more frequent and we just have been ignoring them, or are they just all of a sudden here? And I guess this is kind of speculative. But that's kind of the big question on my mind. Are are we just seeing these because we're looking more closely for them? Or is this a new phenomenon of these, whatever these objects are? You know, that's a really great point um, because they do do that. You don't, you want to focus your, your radar on objects of, of serious concern. And, you know, having seen the dirigible floating around, I mean, that wasn't the, the Chinese spy balloon just wasn't a balloon. It was a dirigible. It was an airship mm. steerable floating around, taking pictures or whatever it was doing, whatever sensor package it had on there, collecting intelligence and transmitting it most likely immediately back to its, its host. The radar normally, yes, we're going to, uh, you can, you can set filter levels. So uh, the size of an object, the, the reflectivity of an object you know, does it have a metal skin? Does it have, is it, uh, is it rubber, whatever it's made of, you know, you don't want a giant flock of birds gumming up your radar screen and, 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 you know, launching F-22s to, to stop the ducks from migrating from <laughs> Canada to, you know, Michigan or wherever they're going. So yes, they put on those, those filters. And so if they have, and that's a very good possibility that the that the three later objects were balloons. Um, if you're a, if they're a hobbyist balloon, that's a real problem. And so if, if the government has removed some of those filters and they're not going to see those more often, take warning, hobbyists, uh, because you better start getting your ducks in a row. Because every time <laughs> you've launched one of those balloons, you're violating federal law if you mm. haven't gotten the right coordination. Because you don't want to suck one down an airline engine. Yeah, that was my favorite headline for this week, that a $400,000 missile took down a $12 balloon. And so... Uh, Tell us, so that was the Sidewinder missile that you mentioned, right? That that's what they used to take down that uh, one of those objects? Yeah, possibly. Sidewinder is the easiest missile to use in that case. I, in my opinion, it's actually safer to use a Sidewinder than a gun. Because if you use the 20 millimeter or the 30 millimeter cannons that we use in airborne fighters, um, you certainly don't want to use an A-10, although it would be super fun. One, it's really hard for an A-10 to get that high. Um, and mm. two, those bullets are significant. Um, so, uh, but even the 20 millimeter Vulcan cannon that's used in some of the other fighters, you tap that trigger and you're spitting out like 60, 70 bullets at minimum, you know, there it goes. And you don't know where those are going when they go ballistic. If you're shooting them over, if you're doing it over a lake, there's a pretty good chance, you know, you can, you can determine the range. Um, but the thing about the sidewinder is it, you know, it's going to, if it misses the balloon or if it doesn't fuse, even it goes right through the balloon and doesn't fuse, um, then it's going to go into, it's what we used to call the stupid sidewinder mode. Um, and it's either going to go straight up and self detonate or straight down and self detonate. So, um, you can, it's, it's a lot more, in my opinion, uh, controllable in a smaller area to use the sidewinder than, than other types of, of ordnance to shoot those down. That was a, wow, that was a rabbit hole. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> what were we no, talking no, no, about? It's Valentine's day and James is here to sweet talk to both of us. And I, I appreciate the education for sure. Yeah, well, and that makes sense of why, because that was one of my big questions, is why missiles when you could use guns, because wouldn't you be able to recover it more easily with the gun, but then, you, like you said, you've got all this collateral damage possibly from hundreds of bullets just going wherever they go. Yeah, so we have to prioritize the collateral damage of the balloon or the object and doing more damage to the object 
over, uh, you know, potentially doing damage to people on the ground. So really, it's just really the, the best ordinance to use is going to be location. What I, I like the image of the F-22 with thumbtacks on the wings. Um, yeah. You know, just fly right <laughs> through the balloon, you know. <laughs> just shoot some of those at it. Uh, but, you know, this kind of makes sense to me of why we don't have a lot of answers yet, you know, as of this recording of what these objects were, because, hey, a missile hit it and, you know, it's at, over a lake or over a the Yukon or whatever. So it's not exactly accessible. Uh, but I imagine that there are some pictures of this that they got from their targeting pods or even just taking out their iPhone or something. I am curious to know what, if they will release those photos or if they were even able to get them on camera. Now, James, you listened to this cockpit recording and it was, uh, th- there was one little quote in here I wanted to call out and maybe you can give us some more commentary. This was the object hit over the Great Lakes. And the pilot says, uh, I wouldn't really call it a balloon. I don't know what. I can see it outside with my eyes. Looks like something. There's some kind of object that's distended. It's hard to tell. It's pretty small. I'm going to call it a balloon. <laughs> and, you know, it, that was interesting to me that they, is that a common thing that they wouldn't be able to really know? Even with like, you know, the, the infrared or the targeting pods, they, it'd be hard to even visually identify something. Yeah, absolutely. So what what he's talking through there is he's going through multiple sensors, um, including eyeballs. Um, so we should, we used to call that the Mark One eyeball. So he's got <laughs> he's got his radar, he's got his targeting pod, and he's got his Mark One eyeball, and he's using all three sensors. And you're hearing him talk through all of that as he's looking at it. And it's, it's so um, without being in there with him, I'm I'm guessing, but I believe he's first looking at the radar. And seeing that it's it's giving off uh, uh, some different signals, he's getting he's getting reflectivity back. That you hear them talk in that tape about I've got well I've got good tone, but I can't see it, and that just means uh, the radar is giving back a, a pretty good signature. Which again, that's something where I, I would think this is more significant than a hobbyist balloon because the uh, the material used is not going to give back you know a latex balloon that's that's the size of a a Toyota truck or something like that is not going to give back a fantastic tone on the radar like that. And so they say they keep, they keep talking about their good tone. So it feels like there's sort of, you know, maybe that um, aluminum type or metallic skin on, on this object. And then you hear him talk about it's distended. He's, he's resolving the image. He's getting, he's now trying to get closer and get it on the pod. So it's a small enough object that he, he steers the, the radar gets a lock that gets good tone. That then steers the sensor head of the pod, which is which is optical in various forms. It's got m- multiple sensors. Some of it's thermal, some of it's optical, and he's, it's got a much shorter range than that radar. So now he's getting closer and he's beginning to break it out, and you're seeing that wobbly. And so that's where the, like releasing this video would just fuel some more conspiracy theories because mm, you release that video and they're just going to cut to the part where it's this wobbling black uh-huh. and white mass. You know, oh, it's the flying space amoeba over Lake Europe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then as he's driving in closer, that thermal and electro-optical image is resolving into, oh, it's a balloon. And then later on, they get really close and they actually talk about the strings they can see hanging. Mm, down yeah. Well, and, and that, that to me, that kind of gives it away that if it's got strings, it's probably tethered to something or it was at some point. And, you know, I, I don't like the argument from incredulity, but to think that an alien spaceship would travel thousands of light years and then, you know, get shot down by, I mean, no offense, but like a, a less superior technology, like a, even, even as advanced as our fighter craft are, they can't go light speed. 
And so to think that it gets shot down by by us is kind of like pushing the limit of believability. You know, unless it got damaged coming through the atmosphere there and those go. were its tentacles hanging down <laughs> loose yeah. because it was injured. And then we shot the poor thing. We, we All it wanted was our help. Or he took some Dramamine. <laughs> yeah. It would have waved, but it's tentacles. Yeah. Is that just typical <laughs> of the military industrial complex? Right. <laughs> right. I guess the, the next question I have is why shoot it down? Because I, I think that's what kind of lends into some of the conspiracy. Oh, they're just trying to distract us. Why shoot these things? Why not monitor them? Did it pose some kind of clear threat to us? Uh, why not just collect more intelligence on it? So here's what would normally happen. On any day over the last, even my 16 years as an airline pilot after my military days, is you got a balloon that's going off track. And we, you know, we launch, I think, 92 weather balloons a day. I can't remember if it's, if it's 92 a day or 92 twice. I mean, I know we launch the balloons twice a day and it might actually be 92 twice a day. And what we're doing is we're gauging winds and other weather stuff. So that's how the, the National Weather Service builds its model. You would think with all that data, they would be better at predicting things like ice storms that bring branches down on people's cars. But they send those balloons up twice a day and uh, all over the United States. And occasionally those weather balloons are going a different place than expected. And they're sending back telemetry. They're sending back tracking data. And the they're communicating with the air traffic control and ATC. And they'll say, hey, you've got a weather balloon that's coming through the, the airspace. Turn to this heading. And so, you know, you, when you've got a balloon coming that's riding the winds at, you know, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour as it's climbing, uh, and you just turn an airplane 10 degrees and then it passes. And, and really, as the, the, the problem to the airline pilot is, well, ATC does such a good job of steering us out of the way, even with small corrections. We never even get to see it. We, we'd rather it pass right off the left wings. We go, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're sitting on the left side of the plane, <laughs> uh, look out your window. We've brought you a special treat today. As you can see, this weather balloon passing by. Take your pictures and send them to Fox News for the UFO uh, <laughs> broadcast. Anyway, so um, we, we see that happen all the time. Now, what I think is different about this um, is they got such bad press about letting an actual Chinese spy balloon fly over the United States and take pictures of military facilities. Now it's that overcorrection. Any balloon, you know, tur turn down the filters. I totally buy that, that mm -hmm, theory mm -hmm. um, and pick up anything that's flying off. And it is, if it is, send out the fighters and shoot it down. Because normally what you would have, what, you know, I'm listening to this Lake Huron thing. And something that small, and by the way, it's, it's, uh, I think that's a, uh, it's probably a misunderstanding that made it into a headline, the $12 balloon. There's no way you can do that for 12 bucks, <laughs> but the limit on what you can attach to a balloon that's going to transit the airspace is 12 pounds. Um, oh, okay. So it's most likely a 12 pound payload being lifted by a balloon. And normally what would happen is if they found one, first they would steer airline traffic out of the way. And then they would, you know, track it and see where it landed. And if they get a chance, they'll somebody up, out, some, somebody out there grab it and say, who made this? Because they owe us $10,000 for violating federal <laughs> law. Uh, that's the fine. $10,000 wow. per violation. And if they want to make a big federal case about it, they'll give you a, a violation for every airspace, every center that it, that it transited. Yikes. So you might wind up with a giant like $90,000 bill. So, hey, you hobbyists who are bragging about your balloons getting shot down, wait till the FAA comes knocking on your door. 
So just to clarify, the one thing that is beyond question here is that it's absolutely the first object was a Chinese spy balloon. Yes, it's a meme. Yes, it's a joke, but it actually was a Chinese spy balloon. Really more of the cover-up type allegations that we've heard are about whether or when the U.S. government knew about it. Uh, The last thing I heard was that they actually knew where it had been launched uh, offshore in China somewhere. The only uncertainty there then is whether it was sent to Alaska by way of the continental U.S. through Canada by accident or by intention. So just to clarify, like that is beyond conspiracy, that it was a Chinese spy balloon. It was a spy end up there. And uh, on John Michael Godier's uh, Event Horizon podcast, he just had a data scientist on, and we can link to this, who says he's tracked the other objects also to China. And so it's very possible that these were all launched at the same time. Well, there's some theories about they could have been launched a little closer to us, but he said he's tracked a couple other ones from China. And so he thinks at least one of these objects that they shot down were also from China. And that kind of makes sense. Like they're just throwing everything at once. They don't know what's going to, what's going to work or not. And you know, this uh, whole strategy goes back actually all the way to World War II. The Japanese military launched these explosive balloons at the continental U.S. and they would, they would try to hit certain targets, but they can't really control them. These did make landfall a few times and did actually hurt or even kill people. Interesting thing at that time was because we're at war, the U.S. government did not want to acknowledge whether or when these things hit because then that would let the Japanese military know, oh, here, you know, this one hit here. So just do it again, basically, or, or you know, just turn it a little bit this way to hit this airbase or whatever. There's a whole interesting history to that. That's where there is a sense of, okay, I can understand if these were all part of a campaign of of spying or maybe more nefarious things like there's talk about one of these jamming signals from one of our planes. You know, maybe these are electromagnetic attack devices. Maybe they're not physical attack devices, but maybe they're they're causing some problems for our for our airmen or for our bases. You know, these flew over our, our missile silos apparently. So I I can understand a little bit of secrecy a- absolutely from the government not not wanting to say hey, China, here are all the sites that you hit and here's all the damage you did. Like, we don't want to let them know that. Yeah, it's called battle damage assessment. And uh, we do it when we launch munitions and things. And then we don't comment on it for that exact reason. We don't want to, it, we don't want to steer the, if, if you think in World War II terms or World War I terms, we don't want to help steer the enemy artillery um, to a better spot. Um, and so that's absolutely true. Um, I think, and, and, and I talked about the hobbyists and things and, and, and actual weather balloons that we track. Um, uh, but I, I will say we talked offline about this. I agree that, uh, and I agree with that data analyst's perspective or, and, and, and I would not be surprised at all that his data tracks these things back to China, because I think they know that like at any other, um, uh, system, we, we filter that stuff down. And so they're seeing, I, I think this is a test. I think they're poking, they're seeing what they can get away with. So yes, we know the first one was an absolutely was a Chinese Bible and it was higher altitude. It was a bigger, bigger item. And it was, uh, it was collecting, it was steerable. It was a dirigible. Um, but, uh, those smaller balloons very much so could be part of a similar or, or part of the same program and test where they're sending them over to test out our responses to see if we even notice 
you know, the audio from the from the Lake Huron incident uh, talks about it's the size, the balloon, the, the pilot estimates that it's the size of a four-wheeler. Um, mm. One of the things that we have a problem with in visual, when we take visual contact of items um, in the air, we commonly undersize them. So, you know, it, you know, from my experience, uh, working in, in training in air to air combat and things like that, um, we, you know, we tend to think things are smaller than they actually are. For instance, we had a, a problem with that. And when you're doing, um, practice dogfighting, um, we started, we, we started attaching pods that could see how far apart the airplanes were. And we had a 500 foot minimum or 300 foot minimum, depending on the type of training you're doing, where, as you, where we couldn't get any closer to that than that when we're dogfighting. And what we found was most guys were getting within 150 feet of each other, which is twice as close as the, as the, as like the lowest minimum we had, um, because we were undersizing, we, you know, something we were, you know, that, that F-16 should be, um, you know, this size in my eyeball at 300 feet. Well, it turns out it's actually at 150 feet. So it's much bigger. Um, so the, we're, we're, we're thinking the same thing about this balloon. So this guy is assuming it's a, it's the size of a four wheeler, I think is what it sounds like he says on the radio. It might actually be much larger, which is carrying something larger than a 12 pound payload. Um, and is, and, and again, those balloons are designed to go all the way up past the, the airspace and pop. And then the payload falls to the earth on a parachute. Um, that's how the package is put together for any of these science projects. Instead, you've got one that's hovering at 20,000 feet or hovering at 40,000 feet. That's a different kind of object. So I totally would believe that that's part of a Chinese program. Folks, you're not going to get this stuff in that, uh, Tom Cruise movie that was so popular last year. Uh, <laughs> I want to circle back to, I mean, we need to get to chapter two in a little bit and talk about, you know, whether there are other threats beyond uh, the terrestrial ones, but I do want to talk about the terrestrial ones. And that leads me back to Zach's comment earlier about supporting the military. I actually have to caveat that. Uh, for me, it depends on the military. There's some militaries out there that I'm not too fond of, uh, and there's a few of them overseas. Uh, you know, no, no, no bigotry here. Uh, it's simply a matter of appropriate, God-given national interest. I like my home, uh, generally. Uh, all flaws uh, excluded. I, I, do, I do like my country, and there's some other countries I'm not too fond of. Now, James, uh, you uh, wrote a book about a decade ago, uh, not a fantasy set in the world of Light Raiders, uh, but a military spy thriller. Uh, there's a series you wrote uh, starting with Shadow Catchers. So you've actually spent some time on a mission in China uh, with, uh, with, with the guys uh, from the troop uh, trying to get our prisoner out of there. And there's some explosions and there's some, uh, there's some stealth tech and some fun kind of uh, techno thriller, uh, military thriller type stuff there. Do you want to even talk about like what what is going on in China? You know, not to blame anybody if we have any Chinese listeners. Like, what what is the Chinese government like? What are they trying to do right now? Just a quick, quick thought oh, on that. Wow. So you have a shift in China right now toward hardliners, mm. um, and so you know, uh, Xi ousted essentially the the leader of the party. Um, and so he went from, he's, he's now the leader of the party and the president. And so he has a, an overarching, a, a much more powerful role and he's a hardliner. And so he's going to be hawkish. He's going to be taking bigger risks in, in the South China Sea. He's going to be taking bigger risks with things like this, um, and pushing the boundaries because, you know, the, the, the philosophy of the hardline of the party is that they should run the world. 
I mean, that's, they've made no bones about that. Yeah, There's, this you is know, world these stuff, the internal folks. features. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that's, you know, when we, when I did Shadowcatcher, um, and I, I spent time in China in fiction, we'll just be, uh, we'll be real, we'll be real very clear, clear about that. that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, yeah, well, I, just I, like I, I spent time on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took, I took, I did a lot of, a lot of research for that book, did some unclassified, also saw some, some, uh, unclassified stuff from way back in the cold war where we were faking UFOs, uh, uh, to, cause the Russians really, really wanted to be the first to make contact with aliens. Um, and so we were messing with them. Um, and so that kind of, that makes it a trolling the Russians. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, so yeah, so I think it's, it's part of a, a new hardline China and you're going to see, um, more of these type of incidents. Yeah. And I think that that is a possible explanation for some of the UFO theories and alien theories now is because it's sort of this um, rabbit hole that it's easy to send a lot of people down uh, because I don't think our government wants, not only do we not want to go to war with China, we don't want to get anywhere close to that. Um, our, our president has said that um, we want to be a competitor, not a combatant, I think was his term. Uh, president Biden spoke about this incident just a few days ago. I'm, I'm trying to quote that from memory. And you know, there's, uh, again, we're not going to go into a lot of the partisan stuff, but basically our government leadership right now is kind of cozy in a lot of ways with the Chinese government. And so I don't think they want to rock the boat necessarily, even though it's sort of the other, other government that's doing that. But, uh, you know, look, these are very dangerous times, right? These, these are all world war three is still hanging over everyone's head, uh, with other recent events happening in the world. And so uh, I think that the uh, kind of the alien angle is a is a way to sort of get the focus off of the international conflict that is very likely to happen, or at least it feels like it's likely to happen. China may be associated with dragons, and uh, no no diss on uh, our Chinese neighbors, especially the uh, the persecuted and or underground church out there. But occasionally, at least in a fantastical sense, if you find a dragon, you need to get a dragon slayer, which leads me to sponsor to the Dragon Slayer Chronicles from author Carrie Green. A dragon attack on a dark evening strips a six-year-old boy from his family, changing his life forever. As he grows from boy to man, Han's hatred for the beasts fuels his life's purpose to recruit and train a band of dragon slayers to destroy the monsters. But the beasts do not act alone. Their evil masters, adherents of an ancient ancestral cult, have taken blood oaths that together they and their dragons will dominate all the lands. Han's epic battle against the dragon masters and their ferocious monsters will test his courage, require unimaginable sacrifices, and cause him to question the justice and wisdom of his creator. The Dragon Slayer Chronicles is a three-part Christian speculative fantasy series by pastor, podcaster, and author Carrie Green. Explore more at dragonslayerbook.com or get all the links and cover images at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or the basic links uh, in our show notes for episode 150. Hey, James, uh, shout out to the evil dragons. Uh, I understand that's your favorite, uh, kind of keeping with the book of Revelation there and seeing these as primarily a symbol of wickedness. Yep, I do like that. I, I did, uh, you know, I did use dragons in a different way as as part of creation in the Section 13 series and made them allies. Um, so it's it's all how you cast them. But in the uh, Light Raider world, those are some evil creatures. And I love the idea of a good dragon slayer. That is uh, right up my alley. Well, now let's go into chapter two, which is, uh, this is where we get a little more fantastical. Others say that the Chinese spy balloon saga is a distraction from 
the truly anonymous UFOs. Or anomalous, uh, even. Yep. What did I say? Anonymous. An- I mean, they are anonymous. That's the point. <laughs> we don't know who's driving those things. We'll just run with that. Okay. So back in January, we had the official report from the ODNI. That's the Office of the, the Director of National Intelligence. All right. Acronyms. Acronyms. Okay. Well, yeah, let's here go. we go. I'll do my best here. The ODNI report. And that was a very interesting report. This is um, a, a follow-on from a report that came out last year that Congress ordered through the, I believe it's the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act. And they said, hey, uh, hey, Pentagon leaders, you need to tell us what are all, how many objects unidentified do we have in our airspace? How many have you identified? What, you know, what do you know about these things? And now this report that just came out was very bare bones. Gary Nolan, a Stanford researcher, said it, it's like it was created with chat GPT. <laughs> like someone took 30 minutes to write it. There's only about 500 words. It said that there are 366 new cases. Roughly half of those are uncharacterized, unexplained. And interestingly, this report was supposed to come out, I think, around Halloween, and it didn't really come out until January. I, I think there's probably some internal struggle within the Pentagon perhaps even between the Navy and the Air Force and the, I I don't know what else, you know, this is all just speculation, but I think that there's a lot of back and forth between the military leadership, the congressional leadership. Now there's also a unclassified version, which is the one I'm talking about. And then apparently there is a classified version that senators uh, Rubio, Blumenthal, uh, Mark Warren and others, we can see a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes from this unclassified report, but it really didn't tell us a whole lot. And so it, it just kind of created more questions. And we'll, we'll get into some of that more in, in chapter three. But some other revelations that have come out recently are there was a U.S. spy plane that captured a floating black orb over Mosul from 2016. This was revealed by uh, the Jer- Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp's podcast, uh, Weaponized. And so there's there's a picture we can link to. It's not a whole lot you can see from it. It's just an aerial shot of this of Mosul, and then there's just this giant black ball in the sky. Uh, but it does seem to mirror some reports from I believe it's the Roosevelt, the the Navy aircraft carrier off the East Coast. In, in our previous episodes, we talked about these flying orbs that pilots have seen captured on video, released to the public, and people say, you know, what is that? <laughs> how does there a, how is there a flying ball? Um, so that's kind of interesting that there, there do seem to be some unexplained things and maybe they will be explained at some point. Maybe it's a very advanced foreign tech, but also it could be very low tech stuff that we just haven't imagined is possible. And, and that kind of brings us a little bit back to the chapter one talk is that, you know, it's very possible that these very weird, uh, unidentified objects could be something that we uh, haven't defended against. And so now it's sort of this, I don't know, maybe it's an embarrassment of like, how did this little thing get in here? Because we also are living in the age of the war on terror that started, I would even say it started with the USS Cole bombing. This fishing boat that went up to this destroyer and blew a big hole in it uh, from very rudimentary kind of things. And so you know, we are in an asynchronous war with a lot of nations. And so maybe some of these objects are that, but until we get more information, we don't really know what to think of them. But uh, James, what did you think of that ODNI report or just some of these other reports from pilots that have been on the public record, they've gone on 
the news programs, podcast, and and whatnot? Uh, well, I can tell you that I, I absolutely feel the pain of the person who had to write the report <laughs> 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 because uh, from being having been on that side and having been asked to write reports that are actually multiple levels, not not just unclass and class, but different levels of classification for different kinds of briefings. Um, one, it's a real pain because you're working on different computer systems and so you can't just cut and paste. Um, two, <laughs> uh, it, it is, um, you're stripping things out and we get to the, the idea of the declassification problems. You as the little guy writing the report do not have the authority to declassify. And so you get details and you're looking at this like, this is ridiculous. So uh, I feel the guy's pain. I understand why the unclassed report may only be 500 words and may seem very sparse because um, wherever the information came from carries with it a classification that the guy who wrote the report, report didn't have the authority to declassify. It also, he probably or she probably sent up requests for declassification um, and waited weeks and weeks and weeks for a no answer because nobody's ever willing to take that risk um, and be the person that accidentally or that, or that made the wrong decision in declassification. This whole area, it very much fascinates me because let's just assume for a minute, all of these 366 objects in this report were just human tech or, or just unidentified human tech, but we're pretty sure it, it's from a foreign nation or from a, you know, SpaceX type company um, or even from just some breakaway group, like an unaffiliated, like a state-sponsored actor, for example, or a, even a non-state-sponsored, you know, terrorist group. Um, this presents a pretty big problem, I think, to our national defense. Is that we've got so many different things that we don't even know how to classify them, like n- not in terms of secrecy, but just uh, categorize them. And then now we've got to give an answer for why are all these things coming into our airspace. That's got to be hard to kind of face down sort of the PR image of that, of why don't we know what these things are? Aren't we supposed to be the world superpower? So yeah, I, I can definitely sympathize with someone who's kind of given answer to all of these things. You know, a lot of these incidents have happened near our sensitive military sites. I mentioned the uh, ICBM sites in Montana that's, that these recent balloons or the Chinese spy balloon flew over, I believe. Uh, there's also been civilian uh, nuclear energy sites that have had these drone swarms or something go over them. There's even been just regular old, old fashioned, I guess, attacks on our critical infrastructure in recent weeks and months. And so I can understand that the leadership of our government does not want to freak everyone out because it, it could seem like, Hey, we're under attack from like hundreds of different things. I, I'm sure they're caught in a pickle. But some of these more extraordinary objects are also what interests me, uh, because does this mean that another nation has gained technology that we can't match? I mean, that's that's kind of interesting. That's that's kind of concerning, of course. But I, I think that there's sort of a human bias that goes on here, right? One kind of bias is there's no way that any military could outmatch us. I mean, we outspend everyone like I don't know what the factor is—a thousand to one or something, a hundred to one. So how in the world could any foreign nation make something more advanced than us? Therefore, it has to be aliens. <laughs> like It couldn't be human tech. And uh, Marco Rubio, I think, made a joke about this. He's like, I'd almost rather it be aliens than the Russians or the Chinese because, hey, maybe the aliens come in peace, but we know that these other countries don't. <laughs> but I think that does belie some of this human bias that I, uh, you know, I don't know about extraterrestrials, but I know that 
that Putin or she, you know, they don't have our best interests in mind. And I'd really hate to think that they have this kind of technology. And so that is the factor that interests me, that there's some part of us that would like to believe in aliens for very pragmatic purposes. But I think on the flip side, there is a sense that, well, there certainly couldn't be aliens. So therefore, it must have a human explanation. Stephen, you know, you you talked about this a little bit earlier, that uh, if you if you start from that position that theologically aliens can't exist, therefore these aren't alien, then I think you are going to go looking for a human explanation. For me, I'm just a little bit, I'm just uncertain of what to think. I, I'm more open theologically to aliens, but I, I'm not so sure about these incidents, whether that's alien or maybe it's something more supernatural. That could be one explanation, but. Yeah, there's a third. There's a third option there. Yeah, which is angels and demons. There you go. That is true. So yeah. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment because I do believe, and I might get into this more in in chapter three. I do believe there's a spiritual component here, but I think it starts with the desires of the human heart, which has fallen in sin and exists in a state of rebellion against God apart from the spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to find our spiritual buzz somewhere. And and there's kind of this black forest effect that you get from fairy tales that then gets uh, transformed into a more sci-fi setting, uh, given the desert and military installation context. But I may have just given away what I was going to say in chapter three, but yeah, Zach uh, and James, my, my thoughts are, and I've articulated this in previous episodes, uh, that at least at a distance, uh, not having any firsthand uh, experience with any of this, uh, my impulse is to go with the human explanation, even if it's a fantastical human explanation. Uh, Zach, you mentioned, you know, this theory of the, you know, the secret billionaire with an island, you know, the Bond villain who's sending out uh, some kind of high-tech balloons or anti-gravity ships or something. I mean, if you want your fantastical buzz to explain these things, you don't need to leave Earth and go out to some, you know, non-carbon-based life form that for some reason takes some interest in us and therefore makes us special. And then you also get that haunting sense of the numinous that everybody wants to have, again, because we are spiritual creatures uh, and yet also very human creatures. So we're going to make stuff up. And, and to me, this whole issue is most interesting because of what it reveals about human nature, uh, not so much alien nature. And I'm fascinated by the topic, uh, but I think it's more interesting than uh, to talk about what people are going to make of this, uh, particularly, uh, James, uh, when people are using these to draw closer to some sort of vague spiritual religion uh, rather than Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I I want to, and of course I'm a tech guy, so I want to talk about the tech um, that you mentioned. So you said we spend more on um, military development than than everybody else, but but where you know you have to also look at the power of the dollar that we're spending um, to our own contractors versus the power of um, uh, the the Chinese um, was yuan to the people that are manufacturing stuff over there. And so we may be spending more, but that doesn't mean that we're outpacing uh, another country technologically. Also, you know, you never know when, when somebody's cracking the nut in a different way that is, is better. You know, how much did we spend on the pen that would write in space? This is the classic example, Mm -hmm. right? How much money did we spend on the pen that would write in space while the Russians used a pencil? Um, (laughs) You know, we, we, how much do we spend on, on stealth and high altitude uh, split? Uh, high, uh, hypersonic technology and stuff. And what if we can crack that nut and pose a serious danger to the U.S. homeland with 
balloons. Uh, you know, for the for Bear Night, I had to do a ton of research. How do you make an airship steerable? How do you how, you know you know we were we wanted to create the storm watchers who are doing surveillance in these balloons and the storm riders who are igniting storm portals to fly into the Dragonlands in these balloons. But we also had to make the balloons you know sort of navigable. And and there, there's a lot that there's a lot of work that goes into a low tech solution when you're talking about a, a fantasy world that's got you know, sort of an 11th, 12th century feel to it. How do you make that work? So are the Chinese um, or or someone else finding a low-tech solution that can pose a higher threat to America? And that's that's something really really kind of fun uh, for me in the weeds kind of stuff to look at. Yeah, it, it is interesting too to even think about, are these even objects, like physical objects? I mean, it seems to be if they're getting a radar return on them, but, you know, there have been reports uh, that have talked about holographic uh, technology where they can use lasers to create plasma and then make it kind of shoot around at these kind of impossible speeds. Well, maybe that could explain some of these truly fantastical anomalous objects uh, that, that seem to defy physics. Maybe it's not a physical object. Now, I would say that th- there really is no hard data in the sense of there's not something in a museum. <laughs> that all of us can go look at and say, this is definitely extraterrestrial technology or something. There are definitely videos. There's infrared recordings. There's, there's things we've talked about before. There's tons of anecdotal stories. And I, I guess I could say amateur video of things. It is hard to know what to think of some of that when you really can't see it for yourself and, and test it and verify it or falsify it. There are some interesting patterns from all of these anomalous stories that that do sort of sit and kind of gnaw at me and think, well, okay, is it possible that there is some other form of technology that is here? Um, could it be a you know remote-controlled drone from again from another species or something? You know, then we get very quickly into the, some of the theological implications of that. But also something I've been thinking about le- lately is when Elijah was taken up into heaven, it says there was a chariot that looked like it was on fire that took him. Okay. So it wasn't simply an angel flying through the air, but it was an angel in a vehicle. And when was it, uh, Elisha prayed for his servant to be able to see the angel armies. He saw equipment that they had. He saw vehicles that they had. So, okay. That, that gets me to think what, what, what did that look like? First of all, what, did it actually look like a chariot with wheels <laughs> or was that just his best word to describe something really anomalous? Yes, because the flannel graph told me so. It was an actual <laughs> chariot. Right, on the right exactly. Yeah. So are we seeing those kinds of things on our radars, infrareds, night vision? Uh, do we just have increased capability to see things in the spiritual world that are entering into the human world? Uh, Because one thing that does seem to be common with all of these incidents is they don't, these, uh, these very anomalous UAPs is they don't seem to actually interfere with us as in there, there has been no equivalent of the USS coal bombing from a UFO. (laughs) Okay. There has been uh, that, at least that, you know, declassified or that we know of, you know, there's been reports in 2019 of some of these objects harassing um, the USS Russell and the Pacific, uh, over a, a period of a few days. But again, they didn't destroy anything. They were just there and then they were gone. 
So there, there is sort of this like almost prime directive element, like non-interference uh, in a sense. And so that that's actually what leads me to think that these are from the supernatural world because God, we know, God has ultimate control over angels and demons because when Satan wants to go wreck up Job's life, he's restrained by God's permission over that. And there are certain parameters and limitations that God puts over the demonic world. Could there be sort of that similar boundary around a flying alien and demonic chariots that we're seeing? Because they always seem to zip away. They don't stick around and land on the White House lawn or anything. Um, they, they try to stay, they seem evasive. So to me, that, that theory kind of works. But again, that, that's assuming that these are actually fantastical craft. I, I think there's a really good argument for that, but it, it's just really hard to know because we don't have a lot of technical information, really. Yeah, we're getting more to the spiritual field here. I guess my question then would be, why would angelic crafts decloak or slip beyond the surly uh, spiritual world into the physical plane? I mean, in the, in the scripture, you get angelic appearances always for a very clear purpose, uh, notwithstanding any missionary anecdotes or uh, special situations going on in the mission field. Uh, there's always a very clear gospel narrative purpose for those kinds of visitations. So, yeah, well, let's talk about the difference between an angelic visitation or the angel of God versus a, a demonic. Okay, so, um, and those, con- those boundaries and constraints that Zach was talking about. So I think we're less likely seeing angels unless there's a specific purpose, as you mentioned. And more likely, if we, if we, I, anyway, I'm, I'm an analyst, so I, I would take, like, I can take you, I, I just took a look at that Mosul picture. I can immediately start tearing that apart. Um, based on shadows, sun angle, um, and things like that. Um, so if so we it's not a that, Borg we, sphere sent back it is from the not 24th a Borg century. Sphere. Okay. Uh, that could be a drop <laughs> of call. oil falling out of the prop of the UAV. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's look at the other side of it is those, those demons that are fallen and are, are constrained and Ephesians two, you know, says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. Some translations say this air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And so we're specifically calling out spiritual powers that are prince and ruler of this air or this world. And so are they constrained in this world? And are our sensors growing to a level where we're able to pick up some of that activity that's in this world? You know, are we going beyond the history channel, uh, you know, ancient aliens where we're looking at um, uh, ancient drawings or locations that are found, artifacts that are found deep in Mexico or uh, uh, at, a, at a low level in India that that seem to imply some sort of uh, other worldly creatures um and is that an effect of of demon in in the world at that time um and now we are seeing on sensors that way you know like i said 90 to 99 percent of the things i can tear apart just on looking at the image but in that that one or 0.1 percent or whatever it is um is that something that we've found where we're actually seeing um increased or is it increased demonic activity in this world hmm. So yeah. I, I have a I have a theory about this one uh, that I want to build on from previous episodes, uh, and I'm I'm going to use the language of of Dune actually, a science fiction novel in which there is a secret society called the Bene Gesserit uh, who have been planting messianic legends on planets over the generations for many many years, 
uh, in order to bring to fruition uh, this idea that they have that there's going to be some sort of uh, prophesied savior uh, who will unite people and wage jihad, and it gets complicated. Uh, I would wager, and it's always a difficult and probably dangerous to start a sentence with, if I were the devil, I would. But if I were the devil, I would do something similar over the generations, uh, not because the devil can predict the future. I, I don't think he can. God alone is master over time and can bring to possibility uh, any of the prophecies that he gives. But if I were the devil and I was at least wicked smart uh, and was trying to approximate something like that, uh, I would seed these false ideas into any culture, anywhere, anytime using the spare parts found around the house. Uh, and that could lead to the pagan sacrifice we see uh, in some of these uh, ancient civilizations or the modern sacrifice that we see in our modern civilization. Uh, Satan is going to use whatever he can get. And so whatever crashed in Roswell, for example, uh, and whatever legends built in the, uh, the real world desert in the American Southwest with military testing and the, the nuclear weapons and all of those things, if I were the devil, uh, I would just work with what I've got. And if people started uh, seeing spooks out in the desert, uh, maybe thinking about some of those Native American legends, and then suddenly you get this uh, syncretism of the new legends and the old legends. Uh, if I were Satan, I would let things play out uh, with the man-made objects and all the legendarium that build up over them and the superstitions and the mysticism uh, and the New Age movement and the crystals uh, and the weird stuff you got going on in the cliff dwellings in Colorado uh, and all this uh, secular progressivism, the worship of sex and self, all of this. Like uh, Satan doesn't have to do anything there. He can just let it play out because humans are evil enough apart from Christ. But would I or any of the demonic legions occasionally step in for some little uh, phantasmagoric manifestations? Maybe. I don't see why not, uh, particularly if you've got the right person in the wrong place who's dabbling with the wrong stuff. I do believe those things can happen. Uh, and that's why at once I can say that a satanic mockery during a certain music awards ceremony is dangerous and yet also boring like that stuff to me is the devil cover story Ooh, there's a guy acting like the devil on a tv Ooh, you know the most dangerous thing there believe it or not i think matt walsh came through on this one is not that oh no it's actually satan but that they're worshiping the same stuff that satan worships which is the self uh, which is one's own pleasure uh, which is one's own idolatry uh, and if Satan can mess with some kind of UFO legend to bring people further in that direction or even actually get that person to worship him, then I think he's going to do it. Yeah, I do th think that there is some kind of demonic connection to some of these incidents because a lot of people who get really into this also get into the occult and they, they get into mysticism, they get into meditation and trying to summon these kinds of things. And what do you know, they can cause these lights in the sky to appear and interact with them. And there is definitely some spiritualism connected to this whole topic. That I'm, I'm very aware of now. I used to think that what this, I, like you said, Stephen, this idea of their seeding this idea throughout time, I used to think that perhaps what the angle is, is when the rapture happens, then Satan has an instant uh, explanation to deceive everyone like, oh, this wasn't Jesus taking people to heaven. Uh, this was UFOs taking away the you know bigoted and closed-minded people out of society. So now we can have utopia. Well, see, that's assuming the devil believes in that model of end times. The devil could be an amillennialist. You don't know what <laughs> position he's come to. No, I, I do 
Yeah, I love the idea of the, I mean, or not the idea, but the fact of the non-omnipresent, non-omnipotent devil who's going to be just as surprised as us. But I do think there are uh, tactical deception plans going on within that community. Um, and uh, it, it's not- The devil not, American community. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's uh, he's got abilities that we don't have. Um, and he is definitely making plans and schemes. This is in fact, scripture tells us. Yeah, I think if any of this is some kind of extraterrestrial, which we won't go into the the theological debate about that, but I, I just think, well, we see in Revelation 9 that there is a star that falls from heaven and opens the key to the abyss, and then these crazy creatures come out and torment people. Okay, well, what if that is some kind of extraterrestrial species? And I, the reason I think that's plausible is that we see in Revelation a mirror of Exodus. Right, we see a judgment on the whole earth, just like God judged Egypt. We see all throughout the Old Testament God judging Israel with the surrounding nations. Well, in Revelation, He's judging the whole earth. So, could He use something outside the earth and send it here to to judge us? And so, maybe what we're seeing are the kind of the scout ships of this uh, extraterrestrial species that's that's coming sometime in the future. I, I don't know. I, I think that's a theory that could fit. But again, it, there's really no way of, of falsifying that or verifying that. So I don't think about it too much other than trying to keep open to some different possibilities. I, I don't want to go down any rabbit holes, but there's an interesting attitude among the UFO Twitter folks, which is this has been going on for a long time. This has been going on since 1947 or 45 or whatever date you want to pick. And so, okay, there are thousands of these kind of stories. So do we think that all these people, all these, and especially when it becomes like military pilots, do we think they're all lying? Do we think they're all mistaken? Uh, do we think they're getting fooled? You know, what does explain all this? And it's something that interests me in that, you know, what, what does explain it? And maybe it's all boring explanations all the way down, but a lot of people seem very disturbed by it and they're looking for answers and not just an answer of like, what was this or what was that? But are we living in a world where we are not the apex species? And that's what we're going to talk about in chapter three here. Well, let's pause first. Uh, speaking of building these realms, we've got our third sponsor for this episode, which is the Realm Makers 2023 conference. It's back every July. Hundreds of writers who create fantasy, science fiction, and other stories will join the Christian-led organization Realm Makers for its 11th annual conference this July 13th through 15th in St. Louis, Missouri. Authors can register at realmmakers.com for the event. They can choose to attend in person at the Sheraton Westport Chalet Hotel or online, as well as live streaming on the dedicated Realmsphere social network. Realmmakers co-owner and CEO Rebecca P. Miner said, We at Realmmakers have enjoyed the privilege for over a decade of connecting Christian creators to one another and to opportunities in the publishing marketplace. We're not just about bringing expert faculty to the conference for teaching, although that's one of the pillars of what we do. We've also discovered that a writer's success is tied into relationships one way or another. The annual conference offers a supportive environment where authors can take the next step in their creative journey. Realmakers has registration go up after a certain amount of time, so you'll want to check out realmmakers.com and see what the fee is now and register. Learn more on our February 1st news release, Realmakers opens registration to 11th Annual Speculative Fiction Writers Conference. Get those links in our show notes for episode 150 or at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Okay, so chapter three is that we say, and I think we can probably all agree here, 
that we all long for a better, more fantastical world. And I think that UFO stories bring out that desire in a lot of people who may not know the Lord yet. Um, I mentioned that there is this trend of people saying, well, what explains 80 years of this phenomena? What explains all these stories? And then right on top of that is this phrase I hear a lot, like this could be the most important discovery humanity has ever made, you know, alien technology. Okay. So then you start digging into that. Like, why would that be so important? Why would it be so important to know that there is another alien species? Well, because if any civilization could travel across the stars to reach us, they would have superior technology and maybe they're willing to share it with us. Maybe they accidentally crash somewhere and we can recover it and back engineer it and create our own superior technology. Well, why would that be great? Well, because that means that they survived, you know, this long and maybe this technology will help us survive a lot longer. And so it, this, uh, this mentality very much leads to technology will save us, <laughs> you know, that human knowledge, human advancement, that's just going to make everything better. And certainly God has given us the capability to create things and he's given us the ability to do science. And that's, an, that's amazing. I don't take any of this for granted. Uh, but we've also all seen the dark side of technology. Uh, in, in recent years, we've seen a lot of that play out on the internet. Uh, but we've just, you know, in, in so many world events in the last 100 years, uh, we, we've seen more death and destruction brought about through technology. And so technology is not the savior of humanity that a lot of people think it will be. But even beyond that, there's this attitude of, well, if we meet a alien species, they've probably transcended war. And so they know how to, you know, make everyone get along and, and bring about world peace. And so, again, it's this idea of a savior is coming from outside of our planet to meet us. And so, to me, that's the really fascinating thing about this is that there really is this desire among people to know that there's something beyond this physical world um, to have a government that leads us in more righteous ways. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone is really big fans of the government right now. What, whatever side of the aisle people are on, it's, uh, we've got one of the, the lowest rated Congresses, I think, in history. And no one thinks the government is being honest with us or working for our best interests. They're, they're in bed with this or that. People don't trust our media anymore. And so there's, there's just this sense of who can we trust? Who can we turn to? What's going to bring humanity to the next phase of our evolution or our enlightenment? Well, maybe humans can't save ourselves. Maybe something outside of humanity needs to save us. And that's where, you know, look, we have that in common with folks on UFO Twitter. Yes, as Christians, we believe that same thing. <laughs> We just don't think it's going to be uh, an extraterrestrial species. We we think that someone has already visited us here from quite literally another dimension, uh, taken on human flesh and and told us the way of true salvation. And so, um, but the interesting thing in all this is that there is sort of this acknowledgement that we all share that humans are not, I, I mentioned before, humans are not the apex species in the universe that there are things more powerful than humans. I would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> Not everything is here for our best interest. And, you know, we have to find uh, the one who is here for our best interest. 
I think that's the important caveat there. Uh, we were talking in the last chapter about the uh, the temptations of this sense of the numinous that people have that will lead them then into pursuit of vague spirituality, almost always reinforcing the self uh, rather than challenges to oneself from outside, uh, which leads to the, the theory I have, uh, what if the aliens show up and they say, hey, y'all, uh, you need to stop it with the fornication. Like you need to embrace <laughs> your human nature. Uh, you need to embrace a uh, based tradition and marriage. Uh, James, how do you feel about like, the risks then of uh, people getting into this stuff, uh, which is why we always try to carefully control the subject of fantastical truth uh, versus the awakening that it can bring in some people of this, this sense of the eternal, uh, but that in sin, uh, people will suppress and then go off in a direction that could lead them into some greater dangers. So, you know, that is absolutely a, a danger for me. So, I mean, let's Let's boil it down to people are in need of a savior. And we were designed that way um, to be part of God's story. We're also told, thou shalt not put any other gods before me. So for me, being a tech guy, tech is the, the god of this age that people are, are, are seeking. Um, they are putting their whole, I mean, Elon Musk is putting his, his, all his eggs in the basket of, of sending the human race beyond this planet for expansion and the, sing, the digital singularity of AI so that you can put your brain into a computer and live forever. They're, they're seeking to create their own eternal life um, through technology and making that their savior. We already have hope and peace in Christ and knowledge of um, our eternity. Um, and so there's the two sides that you mentioned. One is it's the risk of that making that your God. And that is just as valid of making that your God as it is worshiping Baal. Um, the, the other side of it is, is letting people come to an understanding of their eternity. And, and that's a side that I like to argue on the scientific side is my, my physics background and things like that. One of the problems that folks have with Christianity is their inability to wrap a human temporal mind around eternity. And so they lean on theories like the Big Bang, very, very flawed theories like the Big Bang theory and inflationary cosmology that seem to give some sort of temporal explanation. But when you carry the math and when you carry those theories back to the origin, eternity is still there. Whether you believe in God or you believe in the Big Bang, you have to acknowledge that eternity is a fact. One way or the other, eternity is. And so then you have to decide, uh, would you rather um, believe in a loving God who's in control of that eternity and is offering you that eternal life or a cold, unfeeling uh, universe that has, for whatever reason, always existed, uh, either in the form of its current form or pre-singularity, talking about the, the cosmology singularity, um, a pre-singularity form, either way, in the theory is eternity. So, um, you know, which one are you going to grab a hold of? And, and I think we have that argument to say, look, no matter who you are, atheist or Christian, you have to acknowledge the fact of eternity. Now, how are you going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the other dangers of this whole phenomenon is this desire to create a mythology around it. So I mentioned that a lot of people look at, say, hey, this has been going on not just for the last year or two, but the last 80 years. Well, then there's people that come along and say, this has been happening since the Mesopotamian era, you know, since ancient times. And, you know, these uh, beings have been here before us and we are, you know, kind of their slaves or something. And th they're, um, 
but they may lead us to enlightenment. You know, there's, there's good ones and bad ones. And uh, the fascinating thing to me is that this uh, French UFO researcher, Jacques Vallée, has said there is a deceptiveness to this phenomenon. And, and he has said that there is a, a, a supernatural, almost poltergeist dimension to it. And I'm like, okay, so we're on the same page here that this is probably not just nuts and bolts kind of technology. There is some other aspect to this. And uh, there are a lot of weird things that go along with a lot of these stories. And so it is dangerous to try to fit all these into some kind of meta story. Uh, but I think that's our natural impulse. We want to create meaning. We want to make connections. We don't like uncertainty. But then the problem is you're trying to gobble up all of these different worldviews and, and um, ancient or new mythologies to try to create a consistent picture of the cosmos. And that is a form of idolatry. Like you're, you're creating something that explains why we're here, where we're going, what the meaning of life is. But hey, as, as Ken Ham famously said to Bill Nye, there is a book that answers all of this uh, that's been around for thousands of years and, and by the way, has a ton of archaeological support, uh, unlike a lot of these stories. But um, I, I think um, it really comes down to, do we want there to be a God or not? You know, do we want someone who is in control? You know, James, you said, you know, do, do you want there to be a God in control? Well, I think a lot of people don't. I, I think the impulse is to not want God to be in control, to, to have a God that we can control. Yeah, lack of accountability. We want to be the, the, the God. Um, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Well, you see as well the difference between the cover-ups that we're talking about. And this doesn't mean, oh, the U.S. government is covering up aliens or, or even necessarily spy balloons. There's been a lot of revelation uh, going on, lowercase r, revelation there. Or, or <laughs> you could even see revelations. Uh, there's a spy balloon program. You know, you can, uh, you can shrink the radar, that you can have the radar focus on smaller objects uh, and then shoot at those uh, with some uh, overpriced uh, military ordnance. This has all been covered up at various times or other. Uh, so are you going to trust then, uh, faithful listener, uh, are you going to trust human beings uh, who naturally uh, are sinful and or have agendas uh, and will cover things up, uh, even if it's for a good reason? Or are we going to trust the God, your creator, who is self-revealing? Now, God does have things that he keeps to himself. The Trinity is a mystery. Uh, the incarnation is a mystery. But we are told that this is how God is. And in the case of the, uh, the incarnation, this is what God has chosen to do. He has anchored himself in human history. He's not just out there in the stars somewhere or off in a government uh, office trying to figure out how to write a report uh, without exposing some secrets. God will reveal himself, has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Uh, he has endorsed human nature. He's not some tentacle creature. This is humanity that is at the center of God's gospel plan because Christ, the ultimate human, is now in Christian belief locked in as a human being, fully God, fully human. That's frankly what I'm going to trust is Jesus Christ, the God-man, the hypostatic union uh, we were talking about in our chosen episode. I'm going to be a speciesist, folks. I'm not going to look to some inhuman creature for salvation. I look to the human being who is also God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, who's revealed himself and who doesn't cover up secrets. 
So whom then will you serve, uh, Western man and any other man? Uh, my savior is Jesus Christ, not E.T. Yeah, well, you know, isn't scripture sufficient? Isn't scripture fantastical enough in what we see in that story? And it's our story and his relationship with us without trying to stretch outside and add additional, you know, stuff we talk about in Genesis. We talk about, uh, well, I'm trying to remember the scripture that all of creation groaned and we're talking about the fall of fall of Adam. It's specific to us. Um, and so then you have to begin to add semantics to scripture in order to make it reach outside that. So in in that spirit, I'm going to break down something that Zach mentioned earlier about every, you know, all of, across, you go back to Mesopotamia and you see, we, we talk about, we see common, uh, all these people have had these experiences. Well, yes, we have a commonality of uh, experience because we have a commonality of physics in the created world. Is what does light look like when it's unconstrained? A, a source of light that is unconstrained and has no boundaries is going to come out in a sphere. That's just the physics of, of the universe we, we live in. Um, when you begin to blur your source of how you're looking at that sphere, I guarantee you can go out on, at night and look at a street lamp and find a UFO, a flying saucer shape. If you get teared up or if, you're, if you stayed up too late or if you, if you blur your eyelashes just, just a little bit. And guess what? When you build a sensor that acts a little bit like an advanced human eye, like a thermal sensor on a, on a pod on an F-16, and you're out of range and, and, and this pod hasn't focused in yet, you get a distance object that has that same sphere with pieces coming out on the sides look that is a flying saucer. So why do people across time had the same experiences? Because we experience the physics of the world and how light comes to our eyes in the same way. So let's look at the, at the fantastic world and the universe that was created for us um, and then look at what scripture tells us about the amazing things that God has done within that universe before we go outside looking for extraterrestrials. And then, and then let's look at uh, perhaps the prince of the air, the prince of this air, capitalizing on the 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 uh, group think and 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 mania that we create around that common experience to further deceive us. I think that's a terrific point. And for those two who've listened to this or other armies of the aliens episode, this is a, uh, a continuing principle that I really want to push here is the problems of then going to the Bible, which is God's revelation about the gospel of Jesus Christ to save sinners and redeem the world and also avenge himself against the unrighteous. Like that's the central theme of the Bible. If you go to the Bible looking for anything else, you're probably going to find it. Like you can go to Daniel 10 and then get this uh, brief allusion by an angelic warrior to some sort of combat against the prince of Persia. In the Bible, actual Bible, that is an Easter egg. Like, ooh, there, there's some woo-woo out there. There's something going on with the angels and demons. But the angel-demon conflicts are not the heart of the story. Uh, God's salvation in Jesus Christ of human sinners is the heart of the story. Don't go to the Bible expecting to get some spare parts uh, for your extraterrestrial uh, conspiracy theory, go to the Bible uh, and submit yourself to God's revelation and God's purpose for writing it and believe in Jesus Christ, not in E.T. Well, and I think the ultimate mystery that people are frustrated that is being covered up is sort of the meaning of life and really the meaning of pain. I think that's much more what hits close to home for people is why did this horrible thing happen in my childhood? Uh, why did this person die? Why did this person uh, get cancer? Why did this person leave? Uh, why did these things happen to me? Those are the questions that everyone has and the answers that everyone wants. And look, we aren't going to get answers to a lot of that in this life. The Apostle Paul said, 
Now I look but in a mirror dimly, but then when Christ returned, then I shall see everything. So then the question becomes, do we trust God and his timing for revealing all the secrets to us? Because it says that he will reveal everything to us uh, when he returns. And so can we wait for that? You know, can we trust him and take him at his word with all that he has revealed to us? Do we trust that he will reveal more and that he will make sense of things? Because we're not going to get the answers that we want in this life, but we can trust the person who has revealed himself and then wait for more answers to come. So James, where can folks find out more about your military spy thrillers, as well as the Section 13 series where the dragons are good and the Light Raider Academy series where the dragons are not so good, including but not limited to the recently released uh, book two, Bear Knight? Yes, people can go to find out all about the backstory of the Light Raiders and to, to learn more about everything Light Raider, the games and stories and all that's coming with that, uh, which is a whole other issue. They can go to lightraiders.com. And we're actually about to flip that website over. Uh, we, you know, we we sold out of the original 1980s Dragon Raid, and so now we're about to uh, begin the march toward releasing of the new Light Raider system. And so um, you're going to see that website change and grow uh, very soon. And then all my other series, you can find out more about them at JamesRHannibal.com. We have some uh, extra world exploring pieces for uh, all of the different uh, worlds in the spy and the fantastical worlds that um, I created for those series. So Dragon. Dragon Raid has been transformed into Light Raiders. Uh, that's sort of a, uh, a news lead buried at the end here. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you got your vintage set uh, pulled out of the, uh, the components that were originally printed and then mothballed back in the 80s. Uh, but now we're looking forward to seeing uh, what new worlds uh, await in this uh, discipleship learning universe. James, thank you for stopping by last minute. Uh, we didn't even announce it last time, but I'm sure folks will benefit from your experience uh, and the wisdom uh, that we've uh, hopefully collectively pooled here. Oh, thank you for having me and let me jump down into the weeds on the technical stuff. It's, it's the things that I love to do. Stephen, I really enjoyed that conversation with James and it challenged me to think about how I make technology into an idol that I look to to save me. I'm very much a tech geek, just like James. I mean, I'm not a pilot, obviously, but there are all kinds of ways that I love to really get into high-tech stuff. And so... Yes, uh, that that same trap exists for everyone. You know, regardless of the UFO issue, it's very easy to think that we can find the fulfilled and satisfied life apart from God just from all kinds of cool stuff. So, good reminder from James. There's the old quote uh, that Christians have passed around about how the human heart is an idle factory. Well, what does a factory need? Technology. What do factories often make? Technology. So it completely fits. Stories, of course, can also become an idol, but they're also a great good, which is why Lorehaven exists. So let's get a quick mission update from lorehaven.com. You can subscribe free and get notified whenever we do our articles or the Tuesday podcasts or the Friday reviews. We had a really great article just in time for Valentine's Day from staff creator Marion Jacobs titled Christian Critics of Purity Culture Are Still Influenced by Its Fantasies. Marion keeps it real in this piece. It's well worth checking out. Uh, and he kind of a deconstructing the deconstructors, you know, who want to push back against uh, some ways that previous generations of Christians, uh, legalists, for example, uh, have gotten this whole purity thing wrong. Uh, but then people end up creating other fantasies to fight the fantasies. And we want to foreground everything in the reality of God's word. 
Uh, over in the sci-fi section, we just did a review of an upcoming novel of the debut science fiction from Candace Cade uh, called Enhance. There's genetic tampering and social credit systems in this book, plus at least one motorcycle on the cover. A really great story we reviewed there. It's not even coming out till next month, but we got an early copy. Uh, you just heard from James Hannibal, and we're going to review his book as well, Bear Night, already released. That's coming up this Friday after the release of this podcast. And we're working on some other stuff behind the scenes at Lorehaven. Some kind of big stuff. I might go so far as to promise that. Uh, just another way to get uh, more in-depth content from our fantastical creators. Well, we would love to hear from you, our listener, about this episode, the UFO topic, whatever you want to chat with us about. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment on one of these articles we'll have linked to in the show notes. And now let's go over to the comm station to see the messages we've already received from intergalactic destinations. We have a message from Brian Stancil who wrote to us about our episode on the TV series, the chosen. And Brian says, quote, with types and shadows, these things that give similar shapes and forms are not the thing itself that casts a shadow. As long as the series points back to the truth, this should not be so harshly judged because it is not the thing itself. For the Chosen series, we must admit that even though it may have fictional elements, it is at least an attempt to look through the glass back towards the object that is worth taking a closer look at. End quote. And Brian, uh, thank you so much for that uh, message you sent. We had a lot of rather great things to say. And that's exactly how I feel about this uh, series is that what this TV show does best is really make you curious to go jump in your Bible and go, where did that come from? Why are they talking about this? Is this accurate? Oh, wow, it really is. And this really made me think about this in a new way. It's in the best way that a commentary does or a painting or a song is that it, it points you back to the source material, to the truth, not just the shadow and the type, as you said, Brian. One of my favorite elements that they even do in the show is when a disciple is writing things down like Matthew or John. And it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's sort of like behind the scenes of how the Bible got written. Uh, but we just enjoyed that in our family with episode three of season three, when Jesus goes to the synagogue and reads from Isaiah 61, and he stops right there in the middle of the verse. And he kind of calls a shot. He says, hey, let me know if I leave anything out. And they're like, yeah, why didn't you talk about God's judgment on his enemies? You talk about all this uh, freedom from oppression and, uh, and mercy, but what about judgment? So that's that really got them upset, and it got us thinking about that. Well, maybe that's really why they tried to stone him, and that's kind of what led to that, that emotional impulse of like, we got to get rid of these Roman oppressors uh, who are marginalizing us. And that led to a great conversation we had in our family of, well, what does it mean when Jesus said all of that? Like, who, who did, was he freeing from prison? Who was he freeing from oppression? And, and how exactly was he ending oppression? Because he didn't come there as a political messiah to get rid of the Romans. He didn't bring about this perfect, uh, honestly, social justice kind of vision of the world. He came to free us from spiritual bondage. And yes, he did heal people physically, and he, and he definitely made a difference in the physical world. But ultimately, our oppression is from the devil uh, because he holds us a slave through our fear of death. And that is the ultimate freedom that Jesus gives us. So anyway, that led to a great Bible study afterwards. And I thought, this is what the show does best. It, it points us to the word. 
Zach, you ain't seen nothing yet. I know you and your family are still catching up on the season three progress. Uh, once you hit that uh, the finale episode, I'll just say be prepared to do a unit study on both Psalm 77 as well as 1 Peter 1. So jumping back and jumping forward, the showrunners know the place of Jesus' ministry in not only Old Testament history, but whatever is to come in the future. That's why they're uh, backstorying the Apostle Peter and having him go through these sufferings. And then you look forward and you see, what did the real Apostle Peter have to say about sufferings? What types of situations could have, there's the speculation, uh, informed the truth of what we read later on in the epistles? Uh, and this is just a terrific way to honor the scripture. Uh, regardless of whether you faithful listener believe that uh, Jesus pictures or extra biblical uh, backstories are a good way to do this, you cannot deny that that is the intent of the show, uh, to honor Scripture as God's inerrant word through the use of inerrant, flawed, man-made stories. Uh, isn't that just the way that we mm -hmm. do it, even if we don't uh, have a whole TV show to do it with? Uh, that is part of how God works, and I think it's better if we admit that and try to do what we're assigned to do in the most biblical way possible. C.M. Genton replied to Marion Jacobs' article I mentioned earlier and said, uh, Thank you, Marion, for a well-thought-out and much-needed article. Imagination is a powerful gift, therefore a target for the enemy of all that is good and true, and is engaged in sexual matters as well as the arts. I, too, am really concerned about Christians normalizing lust in the arts. Romance elements can fuel addiction for women, offering narratives that portray unrealistic depictions of men, just as men can be addicted to images of unrealistic depictions of women. Our sexuality and the arts need to be subjected to God for our protection and to fully reflect his goodness. Please keep speaking out. What a based comment. And that's exactly what we would hope to hear after such a good article. I can't comment about the specific uh, lust issues and all of that. Uh, time won't allow it here. But I do think that this actually is the same topic we were talking about earlier, Zach, uh, this gift of imagination. Uh, and frankly, uh, some of the hazards that Christians have of denying this gift. Let's just pretend we don't have an imagination. Let's just talk about preaching. Let's just talk about words and logic and principles and didactic ideas. This is inhuman. We are also creatures of flesh. I don't mean sinful flesh. I mean material flesh. God has given us good gifts like imagination uh, and romantic desire. We were talking about that in our last episode. Uh, and without understanding the place that these gifts have in God's world and in our lives, we're going to turn them into idols. Uh, and denying that we have these gifts is just one way to suppress something good. And therefore, people don't have any knowledge about it. And so to an extent, I don't blame it if all they get is the shallow teaching about what this gift is for. Oh, why can't I just uh, watch a TV a show where somebody's uh, getting naked or, or doing some kind of act of sin? Uh, it's just normal. It's just normal. And I don't hear about uh, how to use this gift in church or in Bible study. So what else am I going to do with it? Yeah, I think someone who does that is still responsible for their choice. Uh, but in that case, the local Christian leader who ignores these issues is at least culpable uh, in sending that person down that path of temptation. Yeah, and I think that's the unique element of what we try to do here at Lorehaven and on this uh, Fantastical Truth podcast is we're not the type of people that say, look, imagination is all evil and there's no good use for we're it. We're not going to say it's all good either. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we are going to draw both of those boundaries and say there are good uses and bad uses of imagination. We mostly want to talk about the good uses through our celebration of excellent fiction, but we are going to point to the dark places that your imagination can go to. And, you know, frankly, I, I get worried about 
the Christian influencers that remove all prohibitions of imagination and say, oh, all imagination is good. Just look within yourself for the answers. And no, that's not a Christian teaching that we are told the heart is deceitful. You know, so we, we still have that to deal with in this life until Jesus returns and we are given new bodies that cannot sin. But until then, we are going to face those temptations in our minds and in our hearts. And so we do have to kind of shore that up at times. But hey, let's also talk about the great ways that we can use our imagination through fiction. Speaking of liberation from sin, next on Fantastical Truth, what if you were stuck in a burdensome mech suit? and had to flee from the wrath to come. If this sounds familiar, it's probably because you know the classic story of Pilgrim's Progress. We've talked about that in a previous episode in a version by Zachary Bartles, but this other version of Pilgrim's Progress has a mech suit. It also has robots, space marines, and talking platypuses. John Bunyan didn't write those parts back in the Puritan days, but author David Umstadt did. Next week, David will stomp into the studio to share his narrative podcast and novel, Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded. Meanwhile, you may be distracted by spooks in the sky. You may wonder what they don't want you to know. You may feel that pull toward distraction into the numinous going on over your head, uh, the cover-ups and all of that, uh, rather than the revealed word of God that helps us look to Christ's salvation and not salvation or scary things from extraterrestrials. If that's so, no worries. Just rely on God's word. He has given us everything we need to know, whether or not somebody's covering up the spy balloons or the alien spaceships. And I think we can take confidence and reassurance in that as we continue to seek and find Christ's revealed fantastical truth. <laughs>